Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Stables? What the fuckleberry fins? What the fuck, Adelix? This is Mark Marin. This is my show. This is WTF. Welcome. I'm excited about today's show. I genuinely am excited. I'm genuinely excited about most shows, but uh, Allie Brosh is on the show today. And I don't know if you're familiar with Allie Brosh, but she's a fucking genius. She's hilarious. Nobody has made me laugh more than her in a long time. Her book and her blog, Hyperbole and a Half. There's a new edition out now. It's an updated it's a new edition of the book. It's uh, got the animated panels. It's got her sort of take on her life, which is very specific and very personal, but very relatable if you're like me. So if you like this show and you like me and you're a sensitive, maybe slightly dark person struggling with certain things that you're up against within your own mind on a day-to-day basis where the minutia just becomes paralyzing and overwhelming, well, this is a book for you. It's hilarious. It'll, it, I guarantee you it'll make you feel better and make you laugh. And I, I don't have to say this. It was not easy to get her. I mean, she was uh, she lives up in the hills somewhere up north. And I had to, you know, pull her down off of the mountain to get her to hang out and talk to me. And it was uh, it was amazing for me because I I know some of you uh, struggle with uh, with the war, the war with self, the war with bad patterns, the war with sadness, the war with anxiety, the war the war with depression. How are you going to get through it? You're going to get on some medicine. Are you going to just fight your way through it? Are you going to eat your way through it? Are you going to exercise your way through it? Are you going to create your way through it? Are you going to keep plowing and talking and doing things until it's out of you? How long does this exorcism take? How long will it take to get the shit filter cleaned within me? There's like just, there is some... There is, a, there is a filter, a scrim. There is something that reality passes through as it passes through my brain before it gets to my heart. And it just, it just turns things slightly dark. It's sort of like, how do I open the aperture, man? Well, I look, I, I can experience things uh, as they are relative to my perception of them. Not everything is dark, but you know what I'm saying. I, I was on stage last night at the Trippany House and or the night before last. It would be. People have been great. So I'm so glad that you guys came out. Had a couple of women open for me. 
Uh, Gene Whitney opened for me. Ashley Barnhill opened for me. They did some uh, a couple of 10-minute sets. Uh, then I, I went out there and talked about me for about an hour and a half or so. But it's weird with me, and I, and I know maybe some of you can relate to it, and I think I touch on some of this stuff with Allie, is that uh, you know, you're always going to come up against yourself eventually, and sometimes you arrive at the same place. You, know, you think you've gone through some changes, you think you've made some progress, and certainly you probably have, but then that, that old feeling comes back, just this feeling of like, oh, fuck, what, this is it? And that's like a filter problem. Yes, this is it. But it was no different than when you were feeling good a day or two ago or when you felt great about that thing you did or whatever. It's not you're not a different person. I just don't know why those things don't get cataloged properly. You know, once you start cataloging the good things or, or the progress you're making, you shouldn't have to regress back to uh, to the shit zone. You know what I mean? Why do I always, you know, end up backed into the shit zone? I just made I just ran, you know, 70 yards. And now I'm in the, I'm in the other side. I'm in the, I'm at the beginning. I'm at the shit zone again. I mean, obviously it gets a little easier to get out of that. Perhaps you just have to create your way out of it or, or, uh, feel your way out of it. But for me, uh, it, it just, it becomes sort of interesting because I, I don't want to be a guy that just spins the same fucking plates all day long. I don't want to be a guy that just kind of repeats cycles. So something's got to give, I mean, I gotta, you know, I gotta cure cancer or something, I got to do something. I mean, that's a little high. That's a high expectation to put it myself. I don't. I don't have any. You know, I don't. I don't even have a Bunsen burner. So I don't. I don't have any safety goggles. Uh, so right out of the gate, the cancer cure is not going to happen unless I can do it. You know, with a cast iron pan and some basic spices. Some people think you can. I don't think that's my journey in life. Oh my God! What? Joel McHale's here. Hi. What What are you doing? I was just sitting down to do some things. You're a dead man. What? Don't put the knife down. Finally, payback. Yeah, no guest. I've had that thing on here forever. Like, I leave a lot of things for people to play with. Mm-hmm. No one's ever opened the knife. Uh, you have some I hostility inside you. And, and now the hammer. The nice broken hammer. Broken hammer. Sit down at the mic. Didn't you Relax. See I know that you saw Deliver Us From Evil, where I had a very long knife fight. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm so glad sure. you enjoyed should I, that. Should I pre- I'll pretend. Oh, right. Of course. Right. It was, was, that was when I was nominated for. For 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 all of the oh, awards. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I don't like... I, I I got an NAACP award for that. Wow. Yeah, I, incredible. I, it's amazing that uh, I saw it and I can't remember it. See? Yeah. It, I, well... It's so shocking. What What are you doing? I, how often are you going to the gym? Uh, Forty minutes a day is my uh, thing. Forty gym. minutes a day. Forty minutes a day. What do you What, what do you do? Like your arms are bigger than your torso. Thank I mean, what's what? You. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, you, you like so that? Much. <laughs> forty minutes a day. You hear that, folks? Uh, yeah, forty minutes. You got to be intense. You can't just sit on a uh, elliptical with a magazine open uh-huh. and talking on the phone. That's Come, not how I do it. Okay. Well, what do you do? Do you just enter in a panic, jacked up? Uh, and just get in it. I usually have about six shots of espresso, yeah, sure. uh, a lot of anabolic steroids. Uh-huh. I drink them, uh-huh. uh, and so, then so we're pretty pretty healthy. Ball. Yeah, oh, pretty... very healthy. I have a lot of ab- acne on my back. <laughs> my balls have shrunken down to nothing. No, great, uh, great. If you do forty minutes a day, you'll notice a huge difference, my friend. Or if you can't do that, start with. I'm not kidding when I say that. Start with ten push-ups today, and then tomorrow do eleven. You don't think I can do ten push-ups? Day, uh no, no. You don't? Not with a rigid body. Look, I'm just trying to create controversy. <laughs> Mark Maron's about to do okay, some. Just, here we no, go. Stay on the mic. Let's go. Ten All right, here we go. Rigid body push-ups. What? Ten rigid body. Ten push-ups. rigid 
Oh, no, 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 no. Drop your butt a little bit. Drop your butt. There you go. All right. One, two, three, four. Oh, he's giving up, guys. He's, I know, he's doing it. He's doing it. Look at that. Rigid. He's a strong man. He did it. He's doing more than 10. Boom. Now, he's, now let's see now, how let's much. Now, let's see whose dick is bigger. Come I, on. I, I guarantee take yours is this. Ah, all right, I'll take it out. Oh, uh, my God. It's the humanity. Uh, so how do you feel? I feel great. So I'm done for the day? You're done for the day. Tomorrow, 11. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. So by next week, yeah. you'll be doing, you know, 17 push-ups in a row. And I then, used to, look, I, you know, like, I just have to get on it. So you're saying 40 minutes a day. How many days are cardio? Uh, I just, every, I'll do 10 minutes of cardio one day or 40 minutes one. I can't believe I'm talking about that. But uh, 40 minutes one day or... Uh, or it'll be all weights. Uh huh. It'll all, and then you gotta, you always gotta stretch. I stretch. That's I know. Good. I'm not. I know how to do this stuff. I've done it in my life. I'm just not as consistent about it. Right now, is this I why have, we are talking? Well, this... I, I have a good motivation, which what? is because um, I want to impress my children. No, uh, <laughs> kids, <laughs> kids, that, come out. How's that going? No, because I'm half naked on Community, so I oh. we're getting ready to shoot it. So I have to. I don't want to. It's a great way to motivate yourself if you know you might be half naked soon on right. television right and uh, or on yahoo screen yeah is it oh, so you're going to shoot a half naked thing i'm sure i am anticipating it i haven't seen the scripts yet but dan Harmon usually writes something in so what's going on with that it's all all systems go you're still it's all we the day literally the hour before all our contracts expired sony closed the deal with yahoo which is relaunching its internet portal and it's going to be called, it is called Yahoo Screen. And uh, we're like their first wow. show uh, to, it's because I, I don't know how, what the matrix they used to figure right. out that there was enough online presence to, for people to spend 50 cents or a dollar for the episodes. Uh-huh. And uh, you're really, are you going to vomit? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> and so, so, uh, so here we are. So uh, community's back. Community's back. For 50 cents a pop or whatever. Whatever it is. So, but now no commercials. And uh, it's, you know, Dan will have a... Full control. A, he will have full control. The canvas <laughs> the canvas is open and bare and ready. Look so, out. Yeah, so it's, I'm very The excited. maniac is loose. Yeah, I'm very The genius. Excited. Yes. So, uh, Merry Friggin' Christmas is your first uh, big lead. It's my first lead. Yeah, lead. Lead role. Yeah. Good cast. No, got, not at all. Really. Well, it's great Hacks. cast. Hacks. What are you kidding me? Candace Bergen, uh, Lauren Graham. Yep. Um, Clark Duke. Clark Duke, Robin Williams. Is this was this his last movie? Uh, yes, you, it was. And I should say Tim Heidecker's in it too. Uh, Heidecker. So yeah. you guys and, go and Wendy McClendon Coven. So you're going after great. all all the age groups. We're getting everyone. Yeah, yeah you get the uh, the. We're the, getting all the hipsters that watch Adult Swim. Yeah. Then you get Wendy, who's on a very traditional uh, sitcom and every big comedy. Right. You and get then, Candace Bergen, who was part Murphy of the biggest Brown. biggest one ever. Clark Duke, who's Mister Hip and Cool yeah. from The Office. Super nerd. Super nerd, but you know, but, I, these super nerds are not super. And who nerds, directed so. it? Uh, Tristram Shapiro. And you knew him from uh, Community. Other, He's right. directed more episodes of Community. So it was going to be the Russo brothers who, uh, who, who, uh, who were the executive producers and directed a bunch of Communities. Uh-huh. Uh, but then they got a little movie called Captain America Two, which took precedence over, <laughs> over this tiny little over movie. Merry freaking Christmas! Uh, and we, the Russos and I, we courted Robin. We went up to Marin to convince him to be in the movie. This yeah. was now three years ago. And he amazingly said yes. So, yeah, now that with everything that's happened, I it's hard for me to even 
talk about the guy and uh, without uh, you know uh, everything that happens when you think about someone who's yeah. just died. So it's uh, profoundly sad. And yeah. but I mean, I imagine that it must have been. Uh, well, you have very tangible, real memories of working with the guy. Yeah, and it, was it pretty amazing? It was amazing. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I will be able to tell my great grandchildren if i get to that point that uh i got to work with him yeah and uh he was as you know i mean you knew him and and uh he was uh, he, he it's that's there's that stupid phrase never meet your heroes yeah. he is exactly the hero you want to meet great guy he is, was such a good guy and everyone 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 I, i've now post his death is always like but he would did you notice anything i'm yeah. like what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> and then they would yeah. say um, he was just always on, right? And I was like, no, yeah, he was always a good guy, yeah, and he was always very funny. But it wasn't like he, it's not like he had to. He wasn't one of those guys that had to walk in a room and dominate it. Which he just walked into a room and he was there, and right. that made him dominate. It. Sure, but he's a very collaborative guy, and totally. he was uh, generous with uh, you know with other actors, right? He's and, such a good example to and, follow. I mean, for his the way he was on set was just like he wants. You could tell that he wants to make everyone look good, right? And he wasn't trying to score all the time. Which tremendous and, that you're that you, we have this movie. I mean, because I I don't uh, you know after his death there was you know, obviously a lot of tributes and. You know, you look at uh, you look at the past movies uh, again, but now you have this uh, this interesting document in this uh, this great little part that uh, you know that you, no one's seen before. Yeah, and, and it's Robin being you know acting. It's a little he's he's acting a little cranky, right? Yeah, yeah. What, what is exactly that? He the, plays a real jerk of a father. Your who, dad, my dad, and who also is a fun tells funny like is, has a good sense of humor mm -hmm. because. I think people that he is a real jerk, but he's playing a guy. The jokes come from his character in that he does not like. We do not like each other. How much improvising? Um, I would say I don't know. A bit, a bit, definitely. Yeah. Once scenes kind of got moving, we kind of. So what is yeah. the uh, story? Uh, it is about uh, I play a father with children, and obviously, and uh, my wife is Lauren Graham, and yeah. we decide to uh, through a happenstance. Will uh, Clark Duke plays my brother, mm -hmm. and he accidentally schedules the uh, baptism of his illegitimate child at on on Christmas Eve, <laughs> yeah. meaning I have to go to see my parents who I haven't seen in years. Uh huh. And I, uh, so and we go Clark, there, it's fights, not And Clark good. is, who does he play? My brother. Okay. So, and uh, so, uh, because we look alike. Yeah. And, uh, and Robin and I are the same height. Sure. So it works out perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you never know. It was good that Candace was yeah, played my mom because we do yeah. kind of look alike. So, someone had to have the <laughs> genetic uh, uh, um, credibility. Yes. Yeah. We need the, 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 yeah. slot, or the uh, Nordic. So so it's like a dark, crazy right. Christmas. Right, and then I forget, the in my haste and my stress to get everybody to my parents' home, I forget all the gifts. Uh -huh. So I was like, well, if I just drive back four hours and drive back, then I can make it. Mm -hmm. And through, uh, so it becomes like a road movie where Robin's character has to help me. Yeah. And and then we, uh, yeah. We so you're, on, you're in the car with Robin. Uh, there was a lot of time on a soundstage in a car that's being quietly uh -huh. quietly <laughs> shook by uh, some very nice <laughs> man with Robin no actual driving no there was some driving and that the you'll see the truck was about as easy to control as uh, I it was it was like trying to drive a boat through the street well now you know when something like this happens when something horrible like this uh, you know we lost Robin and you know was there conversations about you know was there any 
did they have to do anything differently? You know, post in post production, did they go back to the drawing board? Were they uh, were they concerned about anything? There, I think there was. I mean, it was there wasn't huge concerns, yeah. but um, the movie's rather dark. There was there was selecting the poster. Uh, right. We all kind of it was like we shouldn't put any pictures on it. Let's just have it be our names. Right. And then uh, that would be. Uh, better than some wacky Christmas right. photo, which it's not because it's not a wacky Christmas movie. It's it's got it's got cursing in it, uh-huh. so. and it's a family. It's a challenging family situation. It, yes, but what it's did, not. But it's not an adult movie, and it's right. not a family fan like kids movie. It's a. I would say it's a family movie that you can watch because that's your family talks like that. It's probably. funny, yeah, and it's dark. It is dark, but it's not dark like Bad Santa. I get it. I get it. Uh, right, right. But so, but, but hopefully, you know, people will love it, and it'll be one of those Christmas movies. Hopefully, it'll be <laughs> the biggest Christmas movie. <laughs> but in I think the history. it's like it's interesting because like it, it, it's odd when and horrible when something like that is hanging over a movie. But yes. like with somebody like Robin, you're sort of like, well, I want to see him again. I, you know what yeah. I mean, and and it's I, a very strange uh, thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's bizarre. And and I, I think that the the type of uh, sort of you know the way that people miss that guy, or they or they think they miss. I mean, there there might be some sadness to it, but you still want to see him work, and you want to, yes. you, you, you know. Yeah, it, it was the strangest. The number of calls I got after his death to uh-huh. promote the movie was crazy. So I mean, it was everyone wanted to talk. Yeah, everyone wanted to talk about them talk about it and oh, yeah i mean i get that completely but i don't think we would have had as much uh-huh. response <laughs> i probably wouldn't be here <laughs> no i mean you're you're, you're no, good, i chose you're, to do this god bless you you know i could have just pushed your movie without you <laughs> oh that's I, true you know, <laughs> you know? True. but uh but i, I mean, listened to your robin uh your your podcast with him and it was that uh, was great it was one of the biggest days of my life really and uh, you got a side of him not i don't even call it a side but that was like that was like you oh, got that's, him that's him yeah that's and you, and and then now you're a guy that was you know in this amazing situation where you spent a lot of time with that guy. Yeah, and it's a great gift, you know, to have had that because I don't yeah. think a lot of people realize what a generous and sweet and thoughtful dude that guy was. No, and he, like in when you grow up with him or you know him as this this, he's this, like a weird dad to you. Like, a weird, like, like, but he's this huge force of nature. Huge. So when you're just sitting there and he's this sweet, kind of soft-spoken, you know, very generous dude, you, there's, there's still part of your brain that's sort of like, it's, it's fucking Robin Williams. He's right yeah. there. But, he's, but he, yeah, he became more than just a guy. I mean, he was such a big star. He would he would get up at f- before we would start shooting at six a.m. or whatever it was uh-huh. and ride his bike for an hour. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. And he, I remember just, to, we had this scene where we kind of, we st- almost fight each other and yeah. I grabbed his shoulder and it was like grabbing a piece of granite. You know? Real, it was solid. He was so physically strong. Well, I mean, I, I just like, you know, I'm happy for you that you had that experience with him and, uh, and I'm uh, I'm happy that, you know, this yeah. movie is, is around and yeah. that, that, you know, it's going to represent his talent well. Uh, yeah, and- I think, and as you were just saying, people don't real. I mean, he was this massive star with this massive amount of uh talent and mm. he was so smart yeah he would like we i brought up we were talking about doping in uh for uh we for you know the bike world yeah with him with oh, he loved the bike races yeah he yeah. knew exactly the chemical breakdown sure. of all the doping and how it worked and i was like uh, i'm just gonna yeah he, his brain was so much bigger yeah. than people realized yes yeah, it was on fire all the time uh. Yeah, he was a big fan. I remember he's a big fan of, of the bike racing. But, uh, well, great. Well, good luck with the movie. It's great to see you. It's nice to you see you. Do you want me to do I can do 10 more push-ups right now. I don't believe you. No, we'll do it off mic, but I'm going to do it. 
Yeah, why don't you hike your feet up on the edge of this uh, desk and see if you can do it that way and put a little more weight on your arms. All right, you, so you're going to sit on my back? Well, no, 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 no. You just yeah. put your... Here, I know, I know. Here, no, no, I know how. I know. So you're... Just, you put your feet up there and that just angle. means... Yeah, hey, look, just, I'm not... I'm and not, you get a bit different part of your, your body. Of your chest. I, I'm not here yeah. to, you know, for you to prove to me that you're a bigger man. I'm not here to do that I am. Right that, I'm, I don't have to prove it. I am literally a bigger man. Get out of my garage. Well, I can't. Get out. The door's too small. Get, Let me just rip the hinges Good off luck here. with the movie. This is the... I thought this, these podcasts were longer. Get out! See you later! Well, that was nice of Joel to stop by and uh, go see a Merry Friggin' Christmas. It's now playing in theaters and available on demand with the late, great Robin Williams and Joel and many others. Oh, my God. Brace yourselves, folks. Brace yourselves for a journey, for a journey and a discussion into the edge of darkness that exists in all of us. Somewhere between our heart and mind is, is, a, is a moving ledge. That's right. It's within you. I cannot even begin to express what an honor it is to uh, to share with you this conversation I had with Allie Brush. I have a tremendous amount of respect for her personally, uh, for her journey as an individual, and uh, the way she found her 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 art and uh, and her her mode of expression. It's just uh, I I love her, and uh, and her book uh, Hyperbole and and a Half is is just uh, it's relieving, it's hilarious, and it's deep. So let me let's let's talk to Ali. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Watch now. I want to make sure I pronounce your last name right. Brosh? Yes. Ali Brosh. You got it. Now, I don't I didn't know anything about you until I got this book. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people knew about you. And that made me I upset. So. <laughs> like I feel like I'm always late to the game. And this book comes out and then I read it and uh, I identify too deeply with it. <laughs> it makes it's problematic but hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, I'm thinking like, how is this person staying alive in the world? <laughs> I wonder that all the time. <laughs> so that's the biggest mystery of my life. But I mean, like you, uh, you know, you seem okay. I, uh, I, I carry it off much better than I think than the reality is. How old are you? Do you talk about I'm that? I'm 29. You're 29. So mm-hmm. you're a young person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were not planning on being a cartoon artist no no it just sort of happened uh, i actually studied human biology in college and i was planning on being a scientist but then panicked at the last moment and uh-huh. uh decided to try other things you seem to be proficient on your computer with this um this paint this uh, this animating program <laughs> uh it's that's 
that's a lofty way to put it. it animating is? program. Oh yeah, it's like a little doodly program. Like I a, don't know what it is. See, like I don't even know that much. Like I, you know, <laughs> I could do research on you and, and learn the name of things. I think I did. Was it called Paintbrush or Paint? Yeah, Paintbrush. It's and a, what does it just come on a computer? Yeah, is it's it, like a free download thing. It's like MS Paint sort of. Yeah, you just sort of has a little brush tool and so, yeah. a fill tool and so that's it yeah you don't need to know there's no steps not yeah i mean like steps as in like i have to put down different lines but yeah no more than that and you just drag around and that's yeah it. just drag it around i have a trackpad but once you a... created the version of you that is a cartoon you what what uh how do you repeat that over and over again is there what are is there anim how do you, can you just bring that guy up that person yeah it's sort of like a it, it took a while to get to that final form but i sort of have it in my head now yeah it's just like <laughs> how did you how did this form evolve? <laughs> so uh we're going to go back, but I'm yes. I'm we're in this now. Okay, okay. So when I sit down to write something or convey something, um I have a an image or a feeling in my head that I'm trying to transfer to whoever I'm communicating with relatively unadulterated right. from my head to theirs. And through this medium. Through this medium. Through words and the paintbrush. Yeah, yeah. and so with pictures it's I have this this abstract concept that I'm trying to put down on the page and communicate. And that was just sort of the best way that I figured out how to do it. Because it was simple. It was simple. And that, and that's really what I'm like on the inside, I feel like. That picture is me, more me than I am. But you decided that after, after like, there because you chose this medium because you were fucking around on your computer. Yeah, it's just sort of, like, I feel not, like... It wasn't years of painting or, no, like... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just sort of... Well, this is the drawing program I have available. I'm going to use this. And, right. And this was the relationship you built with this representation of you. I, yeah. I imagine it evolved and you accepted it. Yeah. It, it wasn't waiting to happen. Do you, do you know what I mean? That, yeah. I, mean, you, I think if you were to conceive of yourself at some other time before paintbrush and what your inner <laughs> self looked like, it would not have been that. Yeah, it would have had to, it would have had to be something else. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I've been reading too much of your book. So you grow up outside of Sacramento, horrible, and then what happens? So we moved to Sandpoint, Idaho when I was eight. Are your parents off the grid people? Are they? Well, so my mom had a dream, and I think I'm pretty sure she just really wanted to get out of the Sacramento area, and yeah. she used this dream as the like impetus, the, as the excuse to Did go. she grow up in Sacramento or she outside grew up of there? In, she grew up near there, a right. little further south. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, so she she grew up in California her whole life, and right. I not interest in California. Yeah, she she wasn't she was sick of the heat, sick of the like people, like just yeah. a bunch of people there. Yeah. She wanted to get out somewhere where there was right, so where she could just sort of live. I guess not off the grid necessarily. I feel like that's a that's a loaded term off the grid. Well, I'm not saying she There's was a, a survivalist lifestyle. or a white yeah. supremacist or, yeah. <laughs> but you know, just sort of uh, away. Yeah, she wanted to. She wanted to get away. Wanted to be in nature. So that was her dream, nature. Yeah, and then she, so she had this dream, um, and my mom believes in all this like mysticism, dream stuff. Yeah, like oh, she's uh, kind of uh, new agey. Yeah, oh, super new agey. Like uh, there's no coincidences. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, what, that's my mom. <laughs> okay, like uh, uh, certain rocks, crystals, candles. Oh, crystals. Yes, I had to drive with a crystal in my glove box of my car. She would not let me go anywhere without it. Do you remember what what? type of crystal it was um, i believe it was like an amethyst okay or like a quartz and that was or a, something a protecting crystal i i think so yeah it was uh -huh. a sort of a pinky color one does she read the I Ching? does she uh, i don't know i don't know about that one i know that she has just like bookshelves of so this is of... she's one of those um kind of new age fragmented system of understanding through many different 
um, methods that are removed from our larger methods. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and also it functions as a way to decorate your house. Yeah. <laughs> we have crystals all over. Yeah, yeah. yeah, little points of light, she says. Points of light. Oh, good. She likes the points of light. So she's still in this. She, oh, she's very much still in this. And uh, is she a healer of any kind? No, she she just sort of likes it. And she it's very concerning to her that I, I'm not very spiritual. Mm. And th- this is a, a great point of anxiety for my mother. But but her spirituality is based on so many different things. So see, she, she calls herself a generally spiritual person yes. because she's aware of all these different possibilities and yeah. levels and interpretations. Yeah. And okay. All right. So that, so she ran away. Yes, yeah, so so we so we, we all moved up to northern Idaho. Okay, and, uh, and your dad and all this is yep. he's, yeah he's he's, he's there. just along for the ride or is he a yeah he he's just sort of my my dad loves my mom and when my mom gets an idea in her head that she wants to do something my dad just okay okay and he goes <laughs> so do, but how does he tolerate the language around the crystals and around the possibilities of mysticism and... it's, it's it's interesting I I never wondered about that until I was an adult yeah um and. I, I think he just sort of goes with it. He knows it's important to her, and he doesn't doesn't question it. Sort of just he, he's he's more like me. So he really loves her. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's just like okay, okay. So he he's sort of the calming influence. Yeah, he I'd say so. So like probably despite whatever beliefs your mother has and all this other st- stuff, the thing that grounds her is him. Yep. <laughs> he's just sort of he's, he's just sort of there and he's, he's the unfluctuating constant exactly in a world of chaos that's being managed by several different systems mm-hmm. okay got it so that's what you grew up in that's what i grew up in yes and and uh no, well there's also my aunt and my grandmother in the equation yeah we some all, of them are in the book so your we aunt's all in the up. book yes so they were all in idaho they all went there at the so same we, time we were all living together in the same house in california um, my mom moved back in with with her mom uh, after she and, and my your dad father. married. Yes, so they they all moved in with my mom's mom. Who and your aunt was there? And my aunt was there. My crazy big house. aunt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, not not super big house, but and you're all there, which yeah, is nice there. to some degree. And you have a sister. Yes. Okay, well, just the two of you. Mm-hmm. What? I she she died. Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's all right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was this year. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, um, it was sort of a long time coming, I think. Was she ill? Yes. Oh. Um, she is bipolar. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, she she just got in a real bad depression and... And ended it? And ended it, yeah. <laughs> I, I come from that. You know? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's in my family, and you do too, I mm-hmm. guess. Do, is, uh, do you have other members of your family that are bipolar? Um, not, not bipolar. I mean, I'm, I'm depressive. You've got that. Oh, you're, yeah. you're classified as depressive. That's mm. the diagnosis. Well, let's get to that. And I'm ho- I'm sorry to hear about your sister. That's very sad. I compartmentalize. I deal I I deal with tragedy well. I yeah. guess you could say. Uh huh. Um, I I feel I feel okay about it now. I mean, it was definitely hard. Uh, especially I was I was going through a really tough depressive episode at the time it happened, and mm-hmm. so it was um a little bit tougher to get through it because I. I couldn't navigate my feelings because I didn't know what they were doing. I couldn't feel them enough to like know what they were doing. <laughs> right, right. So you, your your depression is cyclical. Uh yeah, I'd say. I mean, for like the last four years, yeah. I've pretty much just been depressed to varying levels. It just, it gets worse sometimes, and uh-huh. then sometimes it's for the last four years. About four years, yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> so that's a uh, that's that's hard. Yeah. Um, but I think that you get 
sort of a, a, an amazing amount of credit that's well deserved in in how you navigate that illness in the book. Like I, I know that because like I I talk about my feelings fairly frankly on my show, and and I, I I imagine it's the same with you in the sense that you had no idea the type of relief and and gratitude common you know people who think like you experience when they read your stuff yeah it was really surprising to me right because you think that when you're depressed it's like your own specific brand of misery nobody else would be able to experience or like be able to relate or understand yeah yeah but the way you broke down in the two chapters in the book about depression the way you broke down you know your exact feelings of how it affects your day-to-day life and what your brain is doing your relentless self-examination is sort of a, a portal in to, to like I I I read your book and I said to myself I'm like wow maybe I am depressed because I <laughs> I put that aside because mm-hmm. my father's depressive so like but I was very much sort of like fuck that I'm not gonna be that so mm-hmm. I'm gonna fight it like that but there's definitely specifically the thing of of like why bother yeah that thing the apathy yeah. Yeah, in a way, be, even if it's good things. Like, I don't even know what to buy sometimes. Like, I want to buy a thing because that'd make me happy. It's like, what's the point? I'm yeah, that saying. that sounds about like the experience. <laughs> but, but then there's other parts that are fine. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much how I feel when I'm in like not the absolute worst part. Right. I got diagnosed as dysthymic once. Yeah, that's that seems like a... I I've heard that. I've heard that term. It's like a fancy word for like sort of depressed. And yeah, yeah, sort of depressed. Just yeah, chronically sort of depressed. D- yeah, chronically but, like. But don't you ever get that thing where you're like, well, who the fuck isn't? And then and I then guess you, so, but and, but then, it depends on how long it goes on and like whether you can feel enthusiasm. Right. That I feel like that's that's when I I know I'm not doing very well if I if I can't feel any degree of enthusiasm about. So anything. you're just flat. Like you're, just it's t- like exactly. A, it's like a phantom limb. Like well, I should be. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Like cognitively, I know what like how my reaction should be to things. I can see, so I ha- sort of have to like reverse engineer my just every interaction that I have with things. Uh-huh. Like, oh, this is like it's it's very like clinical. Like right. this is how I would feel if I was a normal person. Right. And then try to do that. <laughs> it's hard to, but it's hard to determine what normal is because I used to yeah. when, in stand up. I used to justify depression as being a reasonable reaction mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know you you know you went up to bend it's beautiful i mean there's no reason to not feel good right yeah well, exa- and that's the problem is that i get i get down on myself about it it's like you know i i have a good i have a great life yeah and there's no reason to feel depressed about anything but that's that's sort of the hallmark of it is it's not about anything yeah you have to you have to accept that you have to yeah. accept it accept it as a mental illness mm-hmm. all right so let's go back so you're living in this huge house with your grandma and your aunt and your mom and dad and your sister. Mm-hmm. And everybody goes to Idaho? Everybody goes to Idaho. Because your mom wants to. Yes. Powerful woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, she she had a she made a case for herself. I don't remember what it was. I was I was pretty distraught about having to leave my my friends. Yeah. And but what was the life like up there? Did she buy a piece of land? Did she have a business in mind? Yeah, so so my grandma actually um had a, a bunch of money saved. My grandma put down money on buying the property that we have, and it's, it's uh, it was I imagine pretty cheap. It's how many, way out. Like how many acres? I think about twenty acres. It's a huge. It's it's a huge amount of property way out in the middle of nowhere, in northern Idaho. Pretty. It's like, I I think so. I mean, it's it's sort of swampy. Does she still the have lower it? Half. Yeah, they're okay. they're actually thinking about selling it now. Um, now, uh-huh. but uh, but yeah. So we, I grew up in this house. Um, they, they built the house on the property to sort of keep down costs. So it is sort of the the homesteading, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, pleasant side of off the grid. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and yeah, we were out, like, nice off the gritters. Did you have any weird neighbors who were the wrong oh, we had, kind we of had off gritters? One weird neighbor. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lyle. He was a weird guy. He'd just stand out by his mailbox and like just survey things, like look around. Oh yeah, take the scene in, waiting for something to just happen. Just waiting for something to happen. He, he, he wanted to be the first one right. to just get in there he when knew, something happened. He knew something was going to happen. He was and ready. He, yeah, and so so he he like knew, saw that we had moved in. And he came over and my parents saw him just like wandering around the yard, sort yeah. of like poking around, looking right. at the landscaping, whatever. And yeah. they're like, uh, hey, can can we help you? And he's like, oh, hi, uh, you mind having me in for a beer? <laughs> you mind? <laughs> yeah. And my parents were like, I guess not. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't there. I've, I've just- Heard the story. You know, yeah, cobbled the story yeah. together from- Yeah, and what happened them when Lyle came in for a beer? He hung around for an uncomfortably long time, and finally my dad, my, my dad is a very passive man. He yeah. doesn't like confrontation. Uh-huh. But he finally just got up and was like, maybe it's time to go, Lyle. Maybe it's time to, to go it, home. And, and I was, oh, okay, okay. And, 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 and is that how the relationship has remained? I mean, do, are they, much. Are yeah, they I friends, think, though? I mean, or at least... I, I don't think he ever came over after that. That was the only time he ever <laughs> came over. It's just added to his grudge pile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those people are part of the problem over there. He, he, was, he was the only weird one that lived right next to us. Mm-hmm. There were some... There was a guy... I, I went running one time. I, I was big into running in high school. Um and my friend was uh, was biking with me. Yeah. He was going to ditch the bike and then continue running with me for like, he didn't want to run as far as I did. Yeah. So he wanted to bike part of it, run part of it, and then get back on the bike, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, we stop at some bush where he can ditch his bike and we can we can start running. And about a mile down the road, this car speeds up to us. Yeah. And there's this guy who saw us saw us ditch the bike. And he's like, well, what's that about? Yeah, yeah. And we're like, well, we're, we're just exercising. He's like, are you sure you're not terrorists? <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't know that guy. He didn't. I, did, I had no idea who he was. See, that's never a, seen him before. In my that's life. That's the Idaho I think is up there. Mm. Like, there's those guys. There's the TM people, or I think have a big compound in Idaho. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it's like this weird combination of hippies, uh, uh, off the grid people. You know, like uh, anti-government, but yep. Americans. <laughs> and then there's the Aryan Nation people. I, I don't know what, but but that's very funny to me because yeah, the way I picture it is that when something happens, anything happens. Uh, it's such a minimal environment that it must be yeah, so loaded it's just for blown any... out of proportion. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh crap, there's like, that, that somebody ditched the bike. Yeah, that's a the, bomb. Something's they... going down. Yeah, something's going down where? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, if I was a terrorist, I would be the worst terrorist yeah, in the history yeah. of the world. Like, what, what, are they what sort bl- of plan is that? <laughs> Yeah. Go out in the yeah. middle of northern Idaho where there's nobody. And Ditch a bike and then go do something. Yeah, the bike is explosive. <laughs> yeah. It's going to blow up the bush. Oh, I, com- I can't believe that you grew up like that. But it, <laughs> but it must have been nice on some level. So, okay. So what was your mom's big plan, though? Just to live there? Or yeah, she, just to, to live there. No job? No. She uh, She's a graphics artist, a computer graphics artist. Oh, really? So she got a job working for like a, like a, not newspaper, but you know those like pamphlet, like handout, like ones with like the little things that have the brain teasers and trivia oh, yeah. questions on them she does those yeah so she did the, that was the first thing she did and so then she, she moved so you kind of come from illustration in a i way. guess so yeah <laughs> did you i mean did you watch your mom do that when you were a kid and think like well maybe i can do that i, I saw her doing the stuff she, like she had the the like light table with the exacto knife like that's most of the stuff that i that i'd see her do oh yeah back when people did that yeah <laughs> and what'd your dad do 
He's a sort of a jack of all trades. He's a handyman. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So he just goes around and says, yeah, I can build that for you? Yeah, so he, he works now for a, a hotel chain or a, a chain of like restaurants and hotels, and he just goes around and fixes stuff. He's a... He's a fixer man. <laughs> fixer. They're very they're very important. Here yes. He gets called at like five o'clock in the morning. Oh, he has yeah. to come in and like yeah. do something. Some There's plumbing an emergency. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that he has to if he can fix it or I, he has to get a guy to come fix it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I yeah, the handyman's in the LA area are notoriously um you just never know how your house is wired or anything. Like if you ever get into the walls of an old house here, people are like, This is all just tape. You know, <laughs> Just entirely built out of tape. Right. There's no, no, no one ever hires an electrician. They just call a guy <laughs> and they have him fix it. So what did you do in, uh, in high school? Your plan was not to be this, um, this brilliant uh, illustrator writer person. It's definitely not my plan. Uh, I, let's see. You ran track. I ran track. I ran track in cross running. country. Yeah. Um, so you could run long distances. Yeah. I, <laughs> was that helpful? It was very helpful. I feel like running, looking at it in retrospect, I feel like running was my attempt to self-medicate. Yeah, um, I well, have that, that's a good choice of them. It is. It, it exhausts me. You know, I, I have ADD and some some amount of anxiety. When I run and I exhaust myself, I don't have energy to, to be that way. Yeah. And so I can just sort of chill out. You know what I'm thinking right now? Hmm. I got. I have to run. I have. I have to start running again. Yeah. That's what Did I'm you thinking. Run? No, I, I ran like a week or so ago. I was like close to getting back into the habit, mm. and then I just went on the road to work, and I ate a lot of stuff. And then, stuff. Yeah, and then you just start eating, and you're like, oh, now I'm fucking, now I'm just. And it's that that like spiral, right? Yeah, I'm fucked. And then you like can't... you got to pull it all back, and like just start denying yourself food and start running. That yeah, so that you do that. The, well, not exactly that, but like, I I know what you're talking about, like the the general shape of it, mm-hmm. where like my life will start to spiral downward in some way, like I'll. I'll just let one thing go, and then that makes it harder to do the other things. Yeah, because you, you don't say, feel good, right? But you say you have an ability to compartmentalize, but not when you're going down. Not really, because once there are too many things that pile on top of each other, it's just like, well, especially accompanied by apathy. Yeah, it's just like, well, how do <sighs> I, how do I even get out of this? And like, it's exhausting. What? Yeah, and that's the, and that's where the anxiety comes in, because mm-hmm. that's what I, I learned about myself. I don't know, maybe as someone who self-examines. Like I used to think I was like experiencing depression, but then I realized I was, I was experiencing anxiety that became dread, and then I get exhausted, yes, and that it looks is like exhausting. depression. Because like you're like, oh, I can't, and, then I, and that moment feels like depression. But I've decided it's just the end of the anxiety cycle. That's how I've self-diagnosed. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, I, I was actually really relieved when I first became depressed because that was the first break I'd had from anxiety. When I'm really depressed, I don't have enough anything Energy. in me to be anxious. All right, so you're in high school, you're running, you're getting, you're doing good in school. Yeah, I, I did. I did well until my senior year of school, and then things sort of train wrecked. But you could, you could have been worse. You were running. You weren't on drugs. Yeah. You weren't driving around drinking. Yeah. Huh. That's <laughs> I was, good. I was doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. What happened your senior year? Uh so my that's when my sister started getting sick, and so when she um have that manifest itself. She became extremely manic, and the way her manic episodes manifested were she she had what the psychologist called psychotic manias, yeah, where she just totally lose touch with reality, and oh my God. Um, yeah, just do crazy things. Yeah. Nobody could figure out what was wrong. Right, right. Um, you know, my my parents had no experience with this. They mm-hmm. they didn't know what it was, and so it was everything was sort of tumultuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my parents had their own struggles they were going through, and thing things were just weird at home. Right. Uh, so a little bit of that. I had my own my own weirdness going on. 
and I, I just couldn't couldn't cope with it. And I what wanted kind to, of weirdness. Oh, probably identity stuff. Oh, I, high I, school per, stuff. Yeah, but periodically I go through a a phase where I just realize, oh, my identity is all wrong, and I have to like break it down and rebuild it from what, scratch. What were you at that point? Like a jock kind of. I've you know? never really known what I am. Well, that's, who that's who were you hanging out with in high school? Who were your friends? <laughs> a little bit of everybody. Oh yeah, I, I was intimidated by the cool kids. I was right. never, I was never a cool kid. Right. Um. They. They sort of like made an attempt to maybe like maybe I could be in that group, but I was too. They scared. reached out. They sent yeah, they, a representative, they and uh, and I, I was too scared. I was no, I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not cool. Not gonna too much that. pressure. Yeah, I got. I'm gonna have to keep up with music. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and figure out what people are wearing. So you felt like an outsider. Oh yeah, yeah. I de- um I was always an awkward kid. Mm-hmm. I just never. I I was always behind. Never knew what to do with myself or like how to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I, I got most of my, I, I, so my, my friend, my best friend, this is this kid named Joey. He was a cool kid, and I, I never, I never was, and I, I always felt very intimidated by him. And much of my early life was, uh, was defined by trying to get him to think that I was cool. Uh huh. And and he would he would, you know, give me advice on like how to dress. Yeah. So I would I spent you know my early preteen years wearing like Jinko jeans and baggy shirts. Yeah. Totally. Sure. Like. Rocking the skater guy look. Yeah, yeah. And, did, <laughs> and you never felt comfortable. I mean, I, I didn't fit into anybody but him. Like he, he didn't know what he was doing either. Is the thing. Like he didn't know what he was doing. So he was to pulling me, he looked it off. Like, right. like he looked. He looked like he knew what he was. So doing. he confided in you that, like, look, I don't know what's going on either. So he didn't we, confide in me. It's just now that I, now that we're adults, I can clearly see them. Oh, like, you're still friends with him. Oh yeah, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. So it lasted. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and, and you, at, at initially, it wasn't a dating thing. It was just pals. No, no, you just felt like. Just outsiders buddies. oh yeah yeah i was like the tumor on his life he saw that i i wasn't meshing with like he found this group of cool friends and i wasn't meshing with the cool <laughs> what, friends what do you mean we're meshing what how does that happen <laughs> <laughs> like what 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 moment signifies that for you the unmeshing they, they could they could just tell like they cool kids have this sense where they can just know that you aren't one of them right <laughs> and they can see like and okay so it, it also didn't help that about three months earlier my friend Joey had dared me to shave my head. Uh, just, oh, you did that? I did that um, because because he dared me to, and I didn't want to look like people I was that don't know who they are can't shave their heads. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't I, know who I was. And I, I did that. I, and I hadn't I hadn't worried about it at, up till that point, really. It's the worst that that because you can't do anything about it. Yeah, and it grows back so slow. And I did that once because the same reason I think. It's and, and it's awful, right? And but, I But I was like tw- in my 20s. Yeah. And I didn't have a I like I decided like, well, people just go to those razor cut places and they get there they just get shaved and it's comfortable. And at that point I bought a skateboard cuz I wanted mm-hmm. to hang out with the guys who could skateboard, but Aren't I didn't they cool? To, yeah, but I couldn't skateboard. And I'm in my 20s though. I'm not in fucking high school. <laughs> so I shaved my head and I had my skateboard and at some point I just looked at my head and I, and I just like it it was almost like there was no definition. Yeah, it was completely horrible. And but you what you don't realize at that moment is that well with your case because it was a dare and you were in high school and you're a woman it was probably more impactful. But no one's looking at me going like who why is that guy have no <laughs> sense of definition? But I felt that right right. So you shave your head and and what happened? Well, so so this was I was 13 I think when I shaved my head, uh, and this it was like. It was really bad timing. It was about two weeks before I discovered that I'm interested in boys. Yeah, uh, I, I had no like 
no view of self before this, no like, mm. no self-consciousness, nothing. Then I shaved my head and I discovered, wow, I'm not pretty. And, uh, and, and, and it was pure. Like there, was, this was unadulterated. Like it was, it, yeah, it no was, distraction with hair. This is yeah, just it was nothing. Baseline. And, and, oh, and I had giant braces. And, and you know, when you, when you do something like that, like yeah. when you do something that's so obviously like, it, it just shows that you don't know how to fit you know do the things that show people you can be one of them like they see you and they're like this there's something wrong here right but but the thing is is that they i don't know like i don't know how you were able to track it you know, in terms of this weird uh there it's sort of a mixture of um there's some missing there's a fundamental missing piece to your sense of self mm-hmm so, you, you know, I can kind of track it to like having fairly self-involved parents with no boundaries and, you know, no one really, you know, you know, provided the amount of discipline for me to sort of feel like I was making decisions mm-hmm. for myself. I, it just felt like I was a wild animal of some kind, you know, who had. To, I totally feel like that. Right. Who You kind of got to build your identity on your own. Yeah. And it's this weird lifelong project just to mm-hmm. arrive in your fucking body. And I, I'm 50 and it only happened to me like five years ago. I don't know where you're at with it, but. But I, I don't know what clinically that is, but um, but but what I noticed when I was that age was that there was just this weird discomfort and, and paralyzing self-consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, that the, what they're sensing is not that you just don't <laughs> have the ability to get out of your head. Yeah. Because you're constantly double checking yourself and, you know, and and also and this I don't, I'm talking a lot, but that's OK, right? Oh, it's totally. Okay. All right. So um, I like when you talk. So. Also, what I realized, because I, I did some of it the other night, was that you start looking, and I think you do this in your writing as well, you sort of illustrate this, is you look at everything else a, about you, like just decisions you're making and like uh, the like this is the wrong shirt for life, <laughs> that kind of thing. Like, like the, it all it'll take is one little thing to make you completely insecure. And then you kind of ch- change it up. Well, what if I drank that instead of this? Or what, maybe I should drink both of them. And they just become this like this horrible... You know, spinning of yeah, it's like uh, one thing can like destabilize the whole right. machine. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is that? I don't know, man. Let's think about it. Was there any discipline in in the house? There was discipline. I mean, my my parents were pretty hands off. Like they, I, I had a lot of freedom. Uh, my mom believed more in explaining things to me. Like uh, instead of disciplining me, she'd say, you know, like this is why this was a bad decision. This is mm-hmm. why this would have been a better decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she she was very open about mm-hmm. stuff. Like but I, that's but that's hard when you're a kid because you just want them to make the fucking decision. <laughs> I suppose so. I mean, because that's what my mom used to do. That she used to say things like, "Do you want me to say no?" Mm-hmm. No. What is that? <laughs> just you know, <laughs> how is that going to help me? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe it's like a paralysis of having too many options. Right. You you yeah. You want to sort of kind of like can, can can you give me a value system? Can you teach me? You're because right. like that one thing I, I was in the book. Is that the idea of, you know, good and bad, and am I a good person, am I not a good mm. person, is that to kind of have to manage due to your own, you know, uh, judgment of yourself, you know, what is right and wrong, and then to sort of assess the fact that, well, you're not a good person because you're doing all this for selfish reasons. Well, a lot of things are done, you, mo- I, I would say most great things are done for completely selfish reasons. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, mo- most It's just things- no one talks about it. I mean, I, I don't know if it's possible to act completely unselfishly because even if you do, like, you know that you did the thing, so you get to feel good about it. And so it sort of, like, negates. 
But I do think there are people that think about others others first, mm-hmm. like you know, either by you, you know training or, or by you, you yeah. Know, but do, do they do that because it's an important part of their identity? You know, they they want to be the person. Well, who if puts other if people they're first. like a, 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 a Mother Teresa or something, all those people <laughs> have flaws. You know, but yeah, they well, they might even be codependent to the point where you know they don't even like themselves, so they just live through other people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different options. All right, so so your senior year, your sister starts to get sick. You're just growing your hair back. I'm, I made it through. I almost didn't graduate mm. um, because I, I'd missed too many days of school. Because because I just sort of I couldn't deal with being there. I just wanted to. I don't know. Were be you, somewhere else. Were you ditching? I was ditching school. I'd still study. Like right. I, I was one of those kids who would like still read the book. Were you still running? I was still running. Yeah. You just didn't want to go into class. Just didn't want to go into class because you felt. I, I've always had a problem with with schedules. Like this is, I think why I do what I do now is because I don't I don't really think I had any other option in my life. Like if this that feels didn't, if way. this career path didn't work out or it didn't come I, to you. Yeah. If if it, if it didn't happen, I I that it was my only option. It's <laughs> well, thank God you found it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been doing comedy my whole life and I don't know what else I would have done. And it's completely, it's very similar in that, you know, it's very immediate. You know, you're engaged with it. You know, when you're being funny, you know, and you can put your thing up on the blog after you mm-hmm. make it and you get the reaction. And There's sometimes n- that's terrifying. <laughs> no, it is. And I imagine. I'm sure stand up even more so. But but it's just weird. It's just like, these are things that are, that, that, that are immediate. Do you, mm. you, you know what I mean? There's no kind of like uh, you're not working for somebody else. You don't have yeah. to, you know, work in a group situation. <laughs> yeah. You, there's not a lot of schooling necessary. You, you get you, the reward right away. Yeah. And I, yeah, I guess maybe I have trouble like thinking about long-term rewards. It's tough to, you know, it's like what we were saying earlier about the multi-step process. I can't think, uh, I have a hard time thinking about next week without panic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's it's probably important for people like you and I to have something more immediate. Well, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Right, so you almost don't graduate. So your parents are they bu- busting? Are they are they on you about it? They um they actually sort of took my side with the whole thing because like my my grades weren't bad. You know, I, I graduated with a, a fine GPA and yeah. everything, but um I just I wasn't. You know, there, there's a certain amount of days that you have to be sitting in a chair in school, mm-hmm. and um there one of my I think it was my my vice principal was just like no you can't graduate and this was infuriating because I had a I had a scholarship and you know my, my parents aren't wealthy they. You know, mm-hmm. they uh, used their retirement fund to pay for my sister's treatments and, and everything. And yeah. so uh, they didn't have money to send me to college. Yeah. And so I, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have been able to go to college. <laughs> right. If I hadn't gotten if I wouldn't a scholarship. Have graduated. Yeah. And it was just sort of like, you know, I'd missed the, the days by like two, I was over by like two days on the number of days I'd, yeah. I, I, Not I couldn't gone to miss. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so finally they settled on, okay, well I have to come, I have to come to school after everybody's gone and just sit in a chair for the number of days that I missed. And then, then it would be forgiven. Right. So yeah, I just went and sat in a chair in a room to to fulfill a a requirement of me. (laughs) Paperwork. Yeah. Punishment. Exactly. Just like sit here and think about what you've done. Nothing other than that vice principal could say that you made the days up. Yep. That's ridiculous. (laughs) But you did it. I did it. And then you went to college. Yes. Was that a disaster? Sort of. Um, yes, so, sort of. Yeah. I, I I feel like in college, all of the not fitting in part was just, it was magnified. Amplified. Yeah. Amplified. yeah. So I was on the um, the track and cross country team. At least you had that. Well, that that was where the, the weirdness came in. Like a lot of the, 
I, I never felt like I fit in on on the team. <laughs> really? That's, yeah. But it's sort of essential for a team. It you, is, isn't you, it? it? It's the idea of team. Yeah. <laughs> um, Why exactly? Well, I, it all started, my, my freshman year roommate was this girl named Julie. Yeah. And Julie is, she was terrifying to me. Yeah. Just, just the embodiment of everything terrifying to me in another person really like <laughs> just extremely judgmental and um unforgiving and she she was cool i could tell she was cool and uh which is bad which is yeah i mean cool judgmental unforgiving just, just I, I was worried so like i you. wouldn't be able to keep up with her and i wanted her to like me so bad i just i, I wanted to be best friends with her yeah. and, and have her and have her feel the same way about me that i felt about her yeah and and she didn't yeah and it, it didn't go well and it's sort of like from there, things spiraled. Like she wasn't on the team, though. She was she, just she your was. roommate. Oh, she was on the and team. And so, um, and I, I don't know what this is all about, but there's this political thing that happens sometimes, where like if somebody doesn't like you, they have to convince other people that they're right, like that that right. their dislike of you is correct. Yeah, that's and kind so of, they have to. <laughs> it's a type of bullying. In I, a I way. guess so. <laughs> it's sort of a campaign. Yeah, to so she so campaign you. campaign against me. And she so, did? Yeah, and tell people, oh, yeah, she is, she, you know, leaves her clothes out of her drawers and doesn't clean up. And, uh, yeah, just, just weird stuff. And so it, it just hurt me deeply when I figured out that this was happening. Because well, I, yeah, because, like, you already feel yeah. <laughs> awkward, and now there's, there's actually a reason to feel excluded because she's trying to, she's a bully. I, I, I suppose so, yeah, she... Go ahead. It's okay to say it now. <laughs> I see. I, I'm, I'm worried that like, is she going to listen to this? Is she going to feel? Is she going to feel bad? Am I going to hurt Julie's feelings? Like, what if we could still be friends? What if? What How if long has it been? Oh gosh, so like ten years. So you're still worried about Julie liking you? Probably. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a part of me that's still like, maybe it can happen. Maybe it can. <laughs> maybe maybe someday. Wouldn't you? I, <laughs> but wouldn't you rather the scenario be that you run into Julie again? And you're like, I don't even want to be your friend now. <laughs> I, I guess because when I really think about it logically, I don't think Julie and I would really even get along. Like even if she liked me, yeah. we are we just don't share perspective. Like we don't have enough in right. common to be like to have fun together. But to, you, to be friends. You envied her ability to. To move through the world. Probably. Yeah, and I, and I just took it as like, you know, she didn't like me and that bothered me. Mm -hmm. It really bothers me. Like, I, I have this thing where I want, I, I want everybody to like me and, and that's how I feel okay. I hide it. You hide it? Well. I, I, I've, I've moved on. I think that's the phase I'm in now where I'm trying to sort of like cover yeah. up that like well, I don't want underbelly. Want, I don't want to believe that I want everyone to like me. Yeah, because it makes you feel weird, right? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's still like an indicator that my personality is 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 not defined yeah that, do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like that my sense of self is so fragile mm -hmm. that like i need you know everyone to sort of, yeah, yeah but like but i've gone out of my way through most of my career to alienate almost everybody at some point or another <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel i and feel I'm, like i i do that as well <laughs> and i'm and i'm an angry person i you know mm. when i get close to people and I, I put them through horrible trials and tribulations what, what does that look like well if like i if i really do get close to somebody then I'm I'm constantly feel like I, I'm either you know being manipulated or judged or or um or they're lying. Like if somebody really does like me, I'm like that. You that's bullshit. You don't really like hmm. me. You don't have any of those. Uh, I I I do. I'm less less suspicious, less about the the lying, but I yeah I, I think that the way that I've dealt with it is I. 
I either have to get really close to somebody yeah. or I can't really be around them because like we have to sort of tear down walls pretty pretty early. But this is a friend or a boyfriend or a husband. Yes, yeah. it's something right. that that I get that I get really close to and then But like, isn't it always like one person though? Yeah, it's, it's just it's one person right, so and what, you get really close to them right. and it's like it's you're safe because you think okay, well, at this point they've seen enough of me right. that like they you know, I'm relatively certain that they've seen some real bad stuff and they're still sort of here. So, but haven't those people ever exhausted and, and sort of had to go like, D- you got to find <laughs> one other friend you need to, you, you need, I need like, cause I used to do a joke about that. Like you only need two friends. You need the main friend. And the backup friend. I, yeah. I saw that one. Yeah. You did. <laughs> you did some research, but, but that, oh, no, I've, I've been a fan of yours for a while, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's true. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I've had, like I have, like I had to pull back. From from putting so much to the point where I I, don't, I, I keep very few friends like because at some point I realize like I always lock into one friend mm. and and if they don't if they can't be there for me it's a disaster. See, I, I feel like I I saw that I have a tendency to do that and I'm so scared of doing it that right. I get I get in my own head and I think that that's where most most of the anxiety comes from is trying to self police. So that I don't get to that point, I'm so afraid of getting to making it. different choices. I mean, I mean, self police is is sort of a uh, it's it's a I don't know if it's a negative way, but it's certainly a a hard way to to make a metaphor for cognitive decision making. A lot of times for me, it feels like self policing, where I'll I'll see it like I am I'm, I'm just very always suspicious of myself, always watching myself. Like, are are you going to mess this up? What are you yeah, gonna, What are yeah, you doing? Yeah. Like what? What are you doing over there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have? Do you, are you able to have a good time? Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I feel like within the last couple of years, I, I've made made good progress on feeling more okay with myself. Mm-hmm. I still, I my my self view and my self talk has turned more into like the way you treat a child. Yeah, like I, I very much talk to myself with an understanding tone, and that you would that you would talk to like a, a child who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. As opposed to a bad parent going like, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, ah, oh, okay, what, like. Okay, look, yeah. <laughs> look what happened. Get get a towel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you made a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so Julie, this is a problem. So you're in college and you're ostracized. Yes, and it, it was... Um, and you had to live with her the whole time this was going on? No, I, I lived with her for about six months. Mm-hmm. And she finally just, she she quote-unquote broke up with me, the the friend breakup. I was she like, I, I'm that? moving. She yeah. she um she was really angry at me uh, for... She probably loved you. Couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle <laughs> I, it. I don't, I don't think so. Mm. But she she got angry at me, which mm. I, would, I would later find out the reason for, but I, I was very confused. I just knew that she wasn't talking to me and it was awkward because no. we lived in the same room. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm very bad at, at dealing with um, silent anger. It's, it's okay if it's coming out, if it's yeah. coming directly at me because yeah, then I have, yeah, yeah. I, I, can, I can react to can it. Can walk into it, yeah. Right, but when it's just sort of like, there yeah. and I'm forced to be in a room with it's it. Passive aggressive, horrible. Yeah, and and I I even ask her, you know, like is is there something wrong? She's, no, I'm fine. That's a control thing. Fuck. Is it? <laughs> yeah, because like you know, she's got you just spinning all the time. Yeah, and and so there there was a few oh, weeks of that, sorry. and then finally we went out to coffee, and I and I here I was thinking, oh maybe we're gonna resolve our differences. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe she's she's taking me out to coffee, and, <laughs> and we're gonna be friends so again. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "No, I'm moving out." I was like, "Oh, okay." Uh, and <laughs> heartache. And then I, I moved in with a with a new roommate who was sort of like, she had all of the problems that I have, but like 
way more. Oh, good. Well, that's way good. more. That helped. That's helpful. It, it was helpful. I mean, and we we got along. I mean, it was it was stressful living with her, but I, um, like we we got along. But it, but it must have provided you like at least some ability to to see that you're common things to, to have something in common with somebody but to realize like wow this could be a lot worse yeah 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 it was it's it was definitely comforting and um i think she found comfort in the fact that like you know we we were both a little bit messy yeah like but she well i was i was a little bit messy she was like she would pile like throw garbage away under her like bed what? like her uh yeah we had raised beds, like okay, lofted so, beds. So she couldn't put things in the garbage? And, and yeah, so no, she went, when her garbage can would fill up, yeah. she would go and buy a new garbage can. Uh, I, I I went and excavated this entire, it, there was a pile probably five feet tall of garbage at some point, and I- Didn't like, it okay. stink? Oh, it stunk real bad. And this was in the place you lived? Yes, and, I, I, and I'm so non-confrontational. I was just like, yeah, maybe you can like do <laughs> something. You, you didn't ever go like, do you smell that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just like, well, this is, maybe we can. I made it like a group thing. Like, we can start taking out trash. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and we're going to do it. And, that and, did... and she, she wasn't as enthusiastic about it. So, uh, <laughs> oh my God. So, How long then, did you live with her? About six months again. And then I finally got my own place. And I've. What happened to that girl? I, I don't know. I've not, I've not seen her since. I mean, we, we parted on good terms. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't. I, I don't tend to hold hold anger in me i don't were you, were you able to have relationships with men yeah oh i've I've always found men easy to relate to yeah. I, I love i love men yeah um not that i don't love women i just really really love men right but <laughs> so you had with successful relationships with yeah. boyfriends and stuff and um i always had i always had really good relationships i'm still good friends with a few of my my boyfriends from the past and huh and yeah really yeah, and that's interesting. So they they, they dealt. Was, did you find that the relationships that you usually find yourself in are like your parents, where you find a guy that just adores <laughs> you and is willing to? to kind of, that, that's a good question. I've never I've never actually thought about the answer to that. So maybe I mean because my husband is is a little bit like that. Like he he <laughs> just really loves me and goes along and like I mean like I I, I definitely pull my weight in the relationship i right uh, sure he you know I, I helped him learn how to communicate and how to he didn't know how to talk he he wasn't good at it mm. he uh he would when he'd start having feelings he'd mm. just sort of like panic and shut down and then not want to like ah, i don't know what's <laughs> and look at the ground or just <laughs> yeah or just or... To, like just try to like shove it away mm -hmm. and distract himself until like the crisis was relatively <laughs> the crisis of having a feeling <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's hard to get through. Because well, he, he didn't know what would happen if he acknowledged it. If he did, like said, okay, I'm happy. Any feeling. Like, yeah, uh, like any, any bad feeling. Any oh. like, uh, you know, so if he was stressed or sad or something yeah. like. Um, right. He he had, he has an interesting relationship with, with grief. If he's ever grieving somebody, it's it's hard for him to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so, so he just tries to like put it away, which obviously doesn't let you yeah. work yeah. on it's the thing. It's not good, right. <laughs> well, there's that the one chapter in in uh, hyper hyperbole and a half where where you know he's upset and you realize he's upset but you don't really want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Like I know that feeling, that self consciousness of sort of like, oh god, I'm so doing something do else, now. and now like I got it. all right, they're up. They're, <laughs> I'm with them, and there's a problem. 
Well, we, we very much have a, like, the way our relationship economy works is he does the, like, detail stuff. Mm-hmm. He does the responsibility stuff, like, pays the bills. And I, I'm the emotional responsibility person. You feel so for I, both of you? I, I feel, and, and I help, I, I help him <laughs> sort stuff out. So we, we both, we do that's, separate, separate you've things. you worked that out? No, not, I mean, we just sort of realized that that's how the, how the chips fell. Uh-huh. That, <laughs> What's he do? He, uh, he's working on becoming a game designer. That's sort of his dream. So he's computer games. No board games, like really? tabletop games. Yeah, he's working on becoming one. Yeah, he he decided we were both in heading toward a career in science, and you met him in college. Yeah, we met freshman year of college. You've been with him since. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a long run. Yeah, it's t- ten years now. So you were bo- okay. So let's get back to that then. So you were studying biology. Yes. And it, and what, how that hit the wall? Hit hit the wall. I mean, how did you decide that wasn't your thing? Um. I, I just sort of I, I saw myself dreading the idea of having a, a career where I show up and and have a list of things that I have to do. I, I just I just knew I saw here's how it worked. I, <laughs> like I saw science. I, I, like... I saw this life and I, I know I know myself well enough to know when I'm when I'm going to fail, when I'm just totally going to fuck something up. Yeah. And I knew it just every day that I got closer to this reality, it was just like. I'm going to ruin my own life. Yeah. I know that I'm not going to be able to stick with this long enough to actually be successful with it. Like yeah. I just know this about myself. Uh, I don't have the capacity to 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 do this. Well, that's a, that's an important thing to know to not self sabotage because <laughs> like you could have had a whole miserable life. I, I yeah, I think I think I probably would have been pretty miserable. <laughs> and it was just the 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 science part of science. Where well, you had I to... I wanted to be a doctor because somewhere in my identity. I, I I love the idea of being a doctor. I just I love the concept of it. Right. Um, what kind would you have been? I liked um, probably an internist of some sort, sure. like di- di- diagnostic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, helping people. Yeah. So was, I, I like the idea. So like helping people is very important to my identity. It's very important for me to see myself. As helping. somebody, as two yeah, kids. that's a very funny chapter too, where you're like, uh, like just seeing yourself as maybe being that is sort of enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm like a pathological helper. I love helping in your head. <laughs> yeah, but do you do it in real life? I well, I do it. Um, oh yeah, like I, I love when like m- if my friends have a problem, that's yeah. the only time I can feel useful to my friends is when they're having problems in their lives. <laughs> so like. I secretly love it when my mm-hmm. friends will call me like, "Oh, I, I have this thing that like yeah. I need I need your help to get through." Oh, you need my help? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can help you. Let me let me set aside some time for the rest of the day, <laughs> week, month. <laughs> and you and you do or do you find yourself helpful? Mm. My friends tell me that I'm helpful. I don't know if they're just being nice, but uh, but I definitely put a lot of a lot of work into it. Because I, I want to actually be helpful. What do you mean for, you put work into it? Oh, oh, into being there for yeah. Because because for me it's it's not like I have to go beyond just convincing myself that I'm helping to like where I can see that oh if if I can see that I have helped then it helps me convince myself more that I'm being helpful. But do you do you fight the urge to to sort of go like remember that time I helped you? That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't think I bring it up because I know that if I did that, it would negate my ability to feel good about it. Because you, because I'd know that I was you, you, yeah I, I'd catch on to myself right and it, so I, I I'm always playing this game where I have to stay a step ahead of myself so that I don't see the the game I'm playing <laughs> like every day every day every day I'm always trying to like figure out how to how to be this thing in my identity without alerting myself to the fact that I'm trying to be it yeah so I can enjoy being it right 
And that's that requires some sort of vigilance, doesn't it? Oh yeah, and I, but but um, it, it's tough being vigilant without realizing you're being vigilant. It's sort of like this this weird right. But like, so it's just I guess maybe you've been doing it long enough to where it's second nature. It I suppose so. <laughs> Thank yes. God. Yeah. yeah. All right. So all right. So you you turn your back on on science, mm-hmm. and and you're dating this dude, and he wants to he wanted to be science too. Yeah. And you both have this realization around the same time? Mine mine was earlier than his. Yeah. So mine um I actually in this this crisis situation where I was seeing like my impending career doom. Uh, yeah, my doom that I'm just going to totally mess this all up. I know it. Mm-hmm. Um so this was right after I'd graduated from college and uh I mentioned that I ran track and cross country in college. Yeah. So my idea was, you know what? I'm going to try to be a professional runner. That was my that was my career sure, plan a, originally. That's a good job. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Like, you... <laughs> what, what, what does that even mean? Okay, so you go to races, and if you do well, you get prizes, which can range from like ten thousand dollars to a pumpkin. Right. I, I want a pumpkin before. And <laughs> that's not a good job. No, that's you can't support yourself with a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, so I, yeah, also I was... product endorsement, free shoes, that kind of. Stuff. Yeah, I guess. So, so, so that was sort of what I was angling toward. Yeah. Um, because it, that's what I felt like my options were at the time. And it's very immediate for people like us. It's yes, like, exactly. I'm, I'm running another, another immediate thing. Right. But the pumpkin was that the deal breaker? No, the, the deal breaker was I hurt my Achilles tendon. God damn it! And I couldn't, so that I was unemployed and sort of just couldn't fulfill the occupation dream. No, and then so. So yeah, and at this point we had moved to a little town called Hamilton, Montana, because that's my husband got a job working in a, a biomedical research laboratory there. Um, and the reason it was there is because it had the Ebola virus at the at the research station, mm-hmm. and it needed to be in a very remote, tiny town so that if something went wrong, it would only kill like three thousand people and not. So it was. So that's where he worked. That's where he was working, and so we're, we're living in this itty bitty little town. Uh, in middle of nowhere, Montana. You're a victim of the Ebola virus in some weird way. <laughs> yeah, in, in some in some yeah, weird way. Your isolation was because of this virus. Yeah, I, I like having to blame it on now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so th- thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that part of your life was because of Ebola. <laughs> Fuck Ebola. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so this was a, a sort of depressing time period um, of my life, and I, I that's when I sort of started writing. But is that, when did you start experiencing what you now know to be clinical depression? Probably, I, I feel like on some low level, it was during college, right. on, on some very low level, but it became bad in like 2010. You had reasons to be depressed. You were isolated. Yeah. So so then I actually had reasons. Right. And then and it so just- it's, it's hard to say that that was because, yeah, it's, it's tough to say because there were reasons. All right. So these, this was the dark time. Yeah. It, it was it was sort of a dark time. And, to, <clears> and then, I, I don't know, maybe for me- I've I've wondered, you know, why why do I want to do comedy? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's another identity thing. It's a it's an approval seeking thing. I think that it's also, seeking. but it's also a way. Not, that's I think that's minimizing it. Well, it's, for me, yeah, I was. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you're wrong about you okay. right now. Okay. I think it's also a way of having a point of view. Yeah. It's a way of disarming things. That's true. It's a way of self acceptance. It's a way of communicating with others. It's a way of understanding. It's a way of dealing with sadness, anger, yeah, fear. I mean, it definitely is a lot of things. Yeah, I, I'm wondering. I, th- I think that the 
the motivation to start may have started with the selfish sure. for me. It started with the selfish, like yeah. I just want, I, I want to make I'm people I'm not denying laugh. your experience. I'm just like, I don't want you to undersell yourself yeah, or, but, but or I, comedy. No, I, I think you're correct. It, now it, it's become it's become more. But that I, moment you decided it was selfish. Yeah, it was, it was sort of, I, I, I wanted to do this thing. I was feeling bad, feeling bad about myself. Yeah. And the the way I decided to deal with this was to sort of put myself out there in a very... <laughs> But 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 also but it's but but there's a uh, there's something in between putting yourself out there and 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 your selfish your idea of selfishness is that it seems to me what you realize in that moment is that you were an artistic person you were a creative person you were somebody that wanted to express yourself yeah you, yeah so like so that's you know you don't want to miss that part yeah <laughs> <laughs> is that this is this is the birth of an artist it's not just like <laughs> I didn't feel good and I was selfish and I needed everyone to see me. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe I am minimizing it, but yeah, I, I definitely when I think back to it, I, I definitely view it as this, and maybe maybe this reveals something about my self view. I, I feel very guilty about stuff like this, about wanting, because I my relationship with attention is is sort of weird. I crave it, but I feel horrible about craving it. So I sort of well, try to. That's better than that. me. I crave it, and I feel horrible about getting it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're in a healthier place. I, I also feel pretty horrible about getting it sometimes because then it's just like, well, did it... it's like, you know, screaming for attention and then suddenly the spotlight's on you. And it's like, wait, what was my plan here? And then once you create something everybody likes, there's expectation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that that's the next level of it. It's like, when's your new book coming out? Yeah. <laughs> How come there's not a new blog post up? And you're like, what? Well, right. I can... Like, I wanted the, I wanted all the good stuff without having, like, the responsibility of it. Uh-huh. And I... All right. So so you start doing this. So, like, in that moment that, where you took this selfish step to, uh, to uh, get attention. Yeah. That's when he started playing around with the paintbrush and when he started... Well, so did you, I, I was did you just start writing with, it first. So you started with just essays? Yeah, so, so just, just journaling. writing. Journaling. Yeah, so, so, sort of journaling. I like I wrote, I think the first thing I published was like an open letter to my neighbors who mm-hmm. were just annoying sorts who, of neighbors. Who were your inspirations for doing this? I mean, because you, you were always conscious that you were doing comedy and you were writing comedy and you were writing funny things. Mm-hmm. So like who sort of gave you the idea that you could do that? I mean, I, I've always been really into stand-up comedy. Yeah. And uh, I've I've never felt, for some reason, I've never felt that I could personally do it. I actually think there there was some blog that I'd seen, or some, maybe it was like a, I, I know I'd read a lot of like the like Craig, best of Craigslist. Uh-huh. I was reading that. And then uh-huh. somebody wrote like a, or a blog or a Tumblr where they had chronicled their experience living with like the worst landlord in the history of landlords. Right. Um, and I think that that was the the one that was like, hey, this is a person just writing something on the internet. Well, that's interesting. Nobody gave him permission to do it. He just right, did it. Right. And that's a, like, that's a generational difference in me. Like, you know, there this stuff was out there and you were sort of consuming it and you could see that you could do it. Yeah. Easily. And so I was like, well, I, I want to see what happens if I try to do this. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just started putting stuff out there. Um, With and the, what was the name of the site? Was it just on the Tumblr or hyperbole and half? Oh, it was always it was, that. yeah. So it, it, it was always that. I, I I don't know how I feel about the name now, but I know that I when I was creating my blog, there was a, a like a form thing that I had to fill out the name of it before I was allowed to go further. Yeah. And I just I just wanted to get to the part where I could start writing. I was yeah. in one of those modes where I have to write now. Yeah. And so I just thought of like the first semi-clever thing I could think of. And, and that's what it that is? Was, that's what it's been ever yeah. since. <laughs> it's stuck. It's just sort of stuck, yeah. So you're writing and you're starting to get reactions pretty quickly or? Yeah, I, f- I think that 
people started trickling out. I remember being really excited when I had like eight, like eight followers. Yeah, was like eight entire people out in the ether are are following me. Yeah, yeah, are paying yeah. attention to what I'm doing. Right, right. And and you knew their you knew their names or at least their screen names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and first, did, did you interact with them? Yeah, I, I I read their stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they and they read my stuff. So mm-hmm. how long did you just write before you like? What was the the decision to start illustrating? So the decision I, because I, I feel like stand up was a huge influence on me, and I was very frustrated that I couldn't. You never tried it. I I tried it. It was embarrassing to me. I've recorded. I've actually like worked out whole routines and recorded myself doing stand up alone. And I love the idea of people doing stand up for rehearsing stand up. I, 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 the, the, years ago, there was this comedy booking agency that mm. you know I, I, that used to book me on gigs, and and the woman who who ran it would get submission tapes, mm-hmm. and there was this tape of this guy who obviously had a friend with a record mm-hmm. of the sound of laughter of candle, <laughs> so it was just him in a basement against a wall, and he was doing his act, and then you just hear his friend drop the needle. <laughs> <laughs> on the record of people laughing, <laughs> it was it was some fucking masterpiece. <laughs> right, so you're obsessed with the stand up thing. So yeah, so but because I I like the, I feel like when when you're communicating with someone live, you have a lot more access to other comedic tools mm-hmm. like f- facial expressions, body mm-hmm. posture, tone right. of voice, um, and it was driving me a little bit crazy that I didn't have an immediacy. Yeah, and, and immediacy. And so for for me, the drawings were a way to like bring in a little bit of that physicality to it. Put a facial expression right. in there. That's like this is the tone that I'm attempting to right. convey. And so, so and yeah, you've I think never that done how, any drawing. I, I've I'd actually I've done a lot of drawing. I drew a ton growing up. It was um, something you liked to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and I, I got pretty good at it. I'd say. Like I used to read comics occasionally and graphic novels, but the experience of the emotions of these. Of these anim- of these illustrations, you know, just sort of really hammers it because I mean, you can read the joke and the joke will stand fine, but then when you keep going back and forth from, you know, the the the, the writing to the character, you know, <laughs> it just keeps amplifying itself. It's a it's a rare gift you have. Thank you. I I'm really bad at fielding praise. All right. Well, then so just, I'm not it, I'm not going to. But, well, <laughs> well, I, well. The the question then is, you've had profound success with this. I mean, I I, I don't know. You know how the book is selling, but I know that you know the blog is ex- extremely popular. And I was the one, you know, the people I talked to people. I said I'm interviewing her, and and, and they're like, "Do you read the blog?" I'm like, "There's a blog," <laughs> you know, like I have the book, mm-hmm. I have the book. And so now, <laughs> like I just read the the one that's up, the latest one up there about the dinosaur costume, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Thank you. The way that you're able again to sort of track your inner conflict uh, and and find some resolution as an adult through these childhood experiences. Do you, do you do you find you still have a resource of those left that that I still have material left from from, from my childhood? Tra- yeah, yeah. So um, I'm in the middle of writing a, a batch of stories for my second book now. Um, and How did this do the book? It, it did well. Yeah. Um, it's Good. it surprised me. I wasn't really expecting anything. <laughs> Just sort of. Well, like, I gave to somebody who who actually reads some of it to her kid. That's like cool. <laughs> but there's like a, a, an ability to do that, like a kid of a certain age can probably identify with your childhood experiences like they're not it it's not dark in the way that you can't mm-hmm. like a, a sophisticated kid can you know take it in and find it hilarious especially the dog stories 
Do you yeah. still have both those dogs? Yep, still have them both. <laughs> <laughs> They're still as messed up as ever. So you experienced the first wave of depression in 2010, mm-hmm. and you stopped writing for a while? Yeah, so I'd say it, it reached a point in like, it. 2010 is when the descent started, and it reached a head in like late, 2011 early 2012 that's when that's when things were really bad for me and you were incapacitated and totally incapacitated suicidal just all of that it was awful um and so yeah so that that's when that's when things were the absolute worst did you and what did you do to, to help yourself um i through the pleading of my, my mother and my husband uh i went to a doctor and got put on anti antidepressants mm-hmm. and they, they took a long time to start working um but they but they eventually helped is sort of like a to me, it felt like a, the effect of like a pain reliever on, on pain where mm-hmm. you, you can tell what's under there. You can tell that you're that something's not right, but mm-hmm. it's dulled. Mm-hmm. And so that that's how my experience of antidepressants was. But it, you were resistant to it? <laughs> resistant to the idea of antidepressants? Yeah. Well, at first, I mean, because like, I don't need that. It's not going to yeah. not going to make a difference. Or but whatever, somebody but... who's so involved with their head, the idea of altering your head, exactly. even though you were uncomfortable, must have been like, well, then how can I trust anything? If I'm... Exactly. And and. I eventually just had to get desperate enough. Like, right. I don't even want to be alive right now. This is obviously... How'd your husband put up with that? Uh, he, it, was, it was hard for him just because, like, I, I think it's difficult to see somebody you love just in such a dark spot. Yeah. And and he there was some degree of helplessness, I think. He he, he couldn't do anything. And then and also to sort of realize that it's got nothing to do with you has got to be a struggle. Obviously. Yeah, that there's nothing that, there's nothing he can do to help. There's nothing he can... That, yeah, and it's tough to separate that, like, oh, because I'm so flat that there's nothing wrong in the relationship. There was one thing you wrote in here just in relation to my father about, you know, seeing somebody who's like that mm-hmm. and not, you know, and not understanding what there's a flatness to them that you can feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you must have experienced some of that with your sister over your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. That the despondency. Yes. That, the, you know, because I can tell when my dad's there within a second <laughs> you know it's just like it's, it's yeah just you said it gone. like sucks the air out of the room it just sort of like yeah yeah and it, and you it, it just it's like i don't it, i guess if you haven't experienced it yourself or seen it in other people it's it's really hard to explain but i think you did a good job with it thank you so did you stay on the medicine um i actually just recently went off of it mm-hmm. um and i feel it's been about three weeks and i feel good i feel normal got got you hopefully it lasts yeah, I, I hope so. But either uh, way, I got you in a good window here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're. <laughs> this is the first time I've felt more myself in in like four years, and mm-hmm. who knows how long it's going to last. But, but so you did all the writing about it afterwards. Once you yeah. leveled off, mm-hmm. got a little distance from it. Yes. And but it was fresh enough to really ha- you have the feelings be tangible enough to communicate it so right. well in the book. And and I was still in it to some degree. I mean, I still felt depressed, just right. not. It, I wasn't bottomed out. You weren't unable to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I think that because you can feel the immediacy of it, but obviously you had some distance in order to yeah to have some I, hindsight I wrote during the time. Um, sometimes because I, I just didn't know what else to do, and so I'd sit down and write. And it was, you know, in the form that it came out of me originally, it was very not funny at all. Right, <laughs> um, but were you able to use that later? Yes, I was able to go back and look at look. So at it was almost like you know, I'm in hell. Yeah, there's nothing funny about this, mm-hmm. but I got to do this. And then later, you were able to contextualize it yes. with some hindsight. Good. Yeah. 
Um, we you know, we talked earlier about your your sister, your sister's illness and in, in, in bipolar, and that she ended her her life. And um, how how are you processing? What, what happened? She um so on on New Year's Eve, she drove her car in front of a train, and that's that's how it ended. <laughs> On New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, yeah. I've I've lived with some bipolar in my family, and th- there's always a sort of threat of that happening. But I mean, had she been suicidal before? She she had. She'd made a couple attempts. Oh, she had. Um, and never it was my the way my mom referred to it was like practice suicides, where she would do something, but it was clear that like she wanted to have an out just in case she changed her mind. But was the the consensus or the feeling in the family that? that she was probably going to do that and that there was nothing anyone could do to stop it if she wanted to. We always sort of feared it, but yeah, it's, especially since it had happened a couple times, like the, a couple, she made a couple attempts, but it never felt like she was really committed. Yeah. It didn't feel like she was But it wasn't a cry for help thing. No, this. Because why couldn't they get her medicated properly? they, They tried. She kept going off of the medication she had a really hard time accepting that she needed the medication because she she didn't like to she didn't like to see herself as somebody sick and also when they're manic they right you start feeling better about it and and this was this was a depressive episode she had recently tried to change up her medications um and it just it just wasn't working she had been it was a couple months where she was just totally you know, didn't have any emotional variation whatsoever, just felt bored and mm. detached all the time. You know, I, I talked to her on the phone a few times just because, like, I've I've also been suicidally depressed and we we were able to talk a little bit about it. But, you know, it's, there, I, I didn't feel like anything I could have said really would have helped much at that point. Right. It's just horrible when it does happen. And, and you all knew that's what it was. It wasn't an accident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then it's just so weird like it, it it just brought up a lot of weird stuff you know I, I was pretty horribly depressed at that time period as well and so I was having a, a hard time um, figuring out my emotions around it uh-huh. and then you know it, it brings up this whole thing where like you know my, my parents knew that I had been suicidal at some point and suddenly they um, we, there was this weird conversation where when I first got home for the funeral my, my dad gripped me by my shoulders and looked at me in the face just crying and say you can't kill yourself you can't do this to you. you you're all we have left really <laughs> and it's also like this pressure and i it's sort of a fucked up moment because my immediate thought was well fuck and like now what am i going to use to comfort myself when things can like <laughs> now i'm not, now i'm not allowed to, to like <laughs> well you can think about it yeah but now there's this weird thing of like you know my dad's <laughs> What sobbing the? face holding my holding me by the shoulders like well, thank god because <laughs> no one wants you to kill yourself but if no. that's going to be what it's going to stop you from doing it that's uh that's fine see i mean there, there have only been a few uh, like maybe just the, the one time where i really seriously considered doing it other times it's more just been a it's comforting to me yeah i used to do a joke a, about that yeah that, that, that there's an out well yeah when, the, the joke i used to do was um you know uh you know, I, I, I thought about suicide. I didn't really want to kill myself. I just found it comforting to know that I could if I had to. Yeah, exactly. Because there's that moment where you're like, why does everything have to, hey, yeah. I could always kill myself. It's another control thing. Right, it's back to like work. It. Why, I, I actually tag it by saying it's the spiritual reprieve of the faithless. Yeah, 
There you go. It's dark. Mm-hmm. No, that's, but yeah, it's it's sort of like the way you can let go and you know, people who are religious have that and like, oh, there's a God, you yeah, know, right. I I can put my trust in this higher power. That, or that things will get better. Yeah, that things will get better. And like, it's like, well, if they get too bad, at least I can, yeah. at least I have an out. Right. Well, they have God. Yeah. We have suicide. Yes. Suicidal <laughs> rumination. Is it, is it, I don't think that's a community builder. You know. No, uh, no, no, no. No church for that necessarily. <laughs> well, I'm sorry you went through that, but so now as somebody who, who, um, how how are you going to approach it? Are you going to approach it in your work? I, I want to write about it at some point. I feel like it's um, it's important for my process of getting through it and sorting things out and. I mean, there's stuff that came up in me and in my family that I never would have thought of, you know, as far as grieving goes, where it's like, you know, I, the, the way, the way that I work through things is I just talk them to death. Like when I, when I'm stuck mm-hmm. psychologically at a, at a point where it's like, I, I just kept replaying the scene of like what her last moments must have been like. And I just over and over and over obsessively for days and so weeks. Do you have that morbid thoughts thing? Yeah. Uh, definitely like I, my brain immediately goes to like the most morbid horrifying way that it could have that right. it could have played out and repeats that scene that's an in, OCD in different, thing right it, it, I suppose it probably Maria is. has that too Bamford has the morbid thought yeah thing. where it's in and my brain just does that and so it's like okay well I'm I'm obviously stuck at some point and I need to, to move past it and <sighs> one interesting thing I I found out is that um so when when people were expressing sympathy to me, I get all these emails and stuff and uh, and messages and mm. phone calls from people, um, being like, I'm, "I'm so sorry that this happened." And I noticed myself feeling almost guilty, like I was like, "Oh, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your pity. I don't deserve this." And I and I looked back at like my sister and my relationship. We weren't especially close mm-hmm. growing up. I mean, we had we had resolved our differences pretty much at this point. Mm-hmm. But um, I felt like from from an outside perspective, I felt like, oh, I shouldn't be as sad as I'm feeling mm-hmm. um, because of we were a little bit distant. But then I was feeling like all of this this genuine grief, but I wouldn't let myself sort of experience it because it's like, oh, you don't deserve to feel that. You don't like you weren't close enough to her to feel to feel that. So I didn't I didn't like let myself right. go with it. Right. And so I was just stuck. Right. Until I could talk it out and realize that that's what's happening and like no i i really am feeling these these things like i i really did love her sure yeah. um, <laughs> and yeah so th- that was one one of the interesting things that happened it's just like i didn't expect myself to react that way well i think it's it, it, isn't that something that the human brain does that you're you're you, you know i think that grief is so tricky that you don't want to be consumed with it yeah so so something's going to to distract you. It's it's the denial, maybe not denial, but it's some version of the five. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know that that you're going to feel these these different levels of this, and and the the grief will kind of come up as it does, unless you're really good at repressing it, and then God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> you sort of have to ease into it, like a like a hot tub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so. In, in a hot tub of your tears. Yes. <laughs> A hot tomato entirely filled entirely with <laughs> your tears. tears. That's how well, you I, know you. I couldn't cry actually. I didn't cry until maybe two weeks after it had happened. I was so depressed and so emotionally like dead inside that I couldn't. And it was really frustrating to me because I saw myself not like not crying. I felt 
awful inside. And you're beating yourself up for not crying. For not crying. It's like, this is not a normal, this is what a psychopath would be like if, you know, they were in this experience, having this experience. Well, that's what, that's that piece in the book that, that, you know, my dad at his father's funeral was sort of manic. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was really disconcerting. Yeah. Were so you're, you're making probably, jokes, making yeah, the rounds. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're probably, it's probably better the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm just like, well, yeah, I can't, I can't feel anything. And, you know, finally at the funeral, I was able to, to cry and it felt really good to for have it come out and, you know, and it came out all at once. It just hit me like. Oh, that's good. Well, that must have been. I was going to say like a train, but that's. And did it, did it shake you from your depression at all? Um. I don't think it shook me from it, but it it gave me some important insights into it. Mm-hmm. You know, just like that. One, when when you're really depressed, you don't feel like you can take anything beyond the particular brand of misery that you're already experiencing. And then there's this thing, and 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 20, 2013 was just sort of a fuck of a year for me. Yeah, I had I also had a a, can, a personal cancer scare, major surgery, a bunch of stuff, just a ton of stuff happened, and mm-hmm. I. Um, I got in this like almost victim mindset of like it's I, I'm experiencing this horrible thing and then everything is happening on top of it. Like that shouldn't happen. That's not that's right. not fair. But there's no like universal justice system, right? No. So like there's nothing governing you whether that can me? happen or not. Do, do you want me to confirm? <laughs> yeah, that? sure. Yeah, there is no universal yeah, no. <laughs> You're 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 just another person. Yeah, just another person. So there's not there's nothing like, oh well, you know, clearly you've had it pretty hard, so we're gonna go mm-hmm. easy on you for a little while. Like there's n- but there, none of that. But there is the human capacity to 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 sort of get through things, yes, and to integrate things, and to to survive, and and to flourish, and to learn from, and and to you know realize that that's really it. That's better than being the victim mindset. So yeah, is that like Jesus Christ? You know, right. I, I survived that at the worst time. Exactly, and so I think that that that's the the good that has come out of it. And looking back, it's like wow, I could. I'm pretty resilient. Yeah. I can like if I can make it through all that and still it, it makes me a little bit less anxious and scared about the future because I've seen like, OK, well, if, if I can make it through this this clusterfuck of a year. Sure. A cancer scare or or having surgery for cancer and losing a sibling is about as bad as it gets. And and yeah. And so and that and it and, you know, it was horrible, but I know that I can get yeah. through it. Sure. And, you know, not and now that I'm experiencing this like reprieve of, sort of relative normalcy um it's it's a, a good thing to have because i can see that i've made it through that that horrible stretch good. into to this little island of of safety where i am now yeah you have a resilient spirit <laughs> yeah and it's it's, it's that's a good where thing your to selfishness know. helps out exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's a, how are your parents all right they're it's, it's hard to tell my mom is she always puts on the strong face yeah like she she never wants to let me know that She's because she, she's a mom to her very core. She's the mm-hmm. most mommiest mom person you mm-hmm. can imagine. And so mm-hmm. she, w- when it all happened, she didn't want to freak me out. Didn't want to. So she, you know, obviously the first day it was it was, she was sobbing uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. But uh, later I'd say, "Hello, how are you?" And she'd say, "I'm I'm doing okay." You know, but I yeah. but I know from knowing her that that's less than true. Uh, I I think now she's. She's better, but she has days where yeah. she's not feeling okay. And you and you can be there for her in those. Yeah, days? I, I I try to be. I, I try to make myself available to her, but she still has this thing where like I'm the child, she's the parent. Sure. She doesn't want to. Sure. She she feels like she's putting it on me, you oh, know. And yeah. I don't, and I don't um, 
to me, you know, I'm pathologically helpful. I love helping. I, yeah. I want her to sort of unload well, some you of that are. on me. You are. <laughs> yeah, even if she doesn't let you. Yeah. <laughs> Despite being on the phone, probably. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to second your father and say uh, you can't kill yourself because you're the, All right. okay. you're, you're the only one left. Now I'm going to see your face. What I'm yeah, thinking about. Put, put so both now there's both. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's be, yeah. I'm sure your husband, you can add his face. Yeah, yeah. Just add a bunch of Add a whole just room a, full a bunch of, of just faces. Just, yeah, just saying just no, no, <laughs> no. Go make a, a thing. Yeah, <laughs> just go go do something else. Yeah, go go, go draw your thing. But here's the, the, the question is that has any of... Because what I found from from gaining some success doing my own thing and doing this was that there was a, a component that was always missing for me, which was a, 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 a sense of genuine validation and self-esteem because of the effect it has, you know, outside of me. Like, I, mm. I you know, the, a lot of all of this work lives outside of you and you get some feedback and that's validating. But the fact that you've, you know, created this thing and that you continue to create it, has that given you? Uh, some chunk of yourself and your identity? I think so. I mean, it's given me something to sort of attach onto, uh-huh. which is helpful because like it's it's sort of like an anchoring point. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I'm out there sort of like, I, I don't know what my sense of self is doing, but then there's this thing that can just sort of, I can anchor it to. But are you proud of yourself? That I don't know. I, th- I think so. Like I, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. I okay. look at, um, I, I think I'm a little bit scared to be proud of myself because that, that sort of, I've learned to be timid of those sorts of situations where I can sit back and be like, I'm I'm proud of this. Why? Because you just think like it, it'll make I, you uh, just full of arrogance and... and maybe. You know. Maybe I, I recognize that tendency in myself and I don't want to don't want to give myself even the opportunity yeah, but, to... Yeah, but, but, but wait. But, but see, I have this struggle too. It's like, why can't we be happy with ourselves? I mean, like, why? What what is the threat of saying like, nah, I did a good job? Like, th- then we're going to stop? Well, I, I think that I, I use... I manipulate myself very much like the, the the best self-control I have over myself is sort of this like fear that I can instill in myself. So if I sit back and feel like I've done a good job, I think somewhere deep down, I'm afraid that I'm going to become complacent and that I'm no longer going to have this the, this like cattle prod tool of fear that I've been using to, but, to but drive ha- myself. Yeah, but I mean, how is it? Why wouldn't you call it self-hatred? I mean, I, I think that there's certainly some degree of that as well, where I feel like I have to. I mean, fear is reasonable, but to sort of go like, "Nah, you're still not quite there yet." <laughs> no, yeah, good try. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so do you ever look? I, I feel like I go through this cycle roughly every two to four years, where I look back at at myself from you know two or four years ago. Yeah. And it's just, oh my God, what was I doing? Right. I, and I'm so ashamed of, of that person uh-huh. from from years ago. And so I live with this constant suspicion that I'm going to feel that way, you know, looking back at now, from in two years, four years from now. And so maybe that's one reason why I, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be like, oh, I did a good job and then be wrong in four years. I want to be like, oh, I called it. I called it. I knew I was. Yeah, but that's like, <laughs> a, but that's like a, a no-win situation. Yeah, I'm not saying it's, it's logical. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's anxiety. It's dread. It's, yes, it, yes. It's um, it's all that stuff that you grew up with. It's fear of judgment. It's fear <laughs> exactly. of not being cool, and and you don't want to, you know, all of a sudden feel happy and then be told by who I don't know that you were wrong. Yeah, so it's it's like a preemptive defense mechanism. I know, where... but but don't you don't you think you are don't you have? I mean, I would imagine through writing the, the, through your childhood and through the depression 
that there is some self-acceptance. I mean, you can't. Yeah. I mean, oh, there's definitely is some degree of it. Um, I, I feel more comfortable with myself. I feel like I've ironed out a little bit more of who I am. Yeah. No, I'm definitely not there yet, but I feel I know I feel more comfortable being in being in my head. Right. But you know what the weird thing is? And I think this is something I can relate to only because I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this. And, and is that like you might be the only one that thinks this shit? Because, I mean, I <laughs> you, you, you're not some sort of weird boundaryless, yeah. you know, drifting <laughs> person. Like, you know, I, I definitely have a sense of 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 yours, of you mm. right now. I've been talking to you an hour and a half. And, you know, it, there wasn't one point where I'm like, you know, oh, my God, she's just not clear on her personality. And <laughs> it's weird. The room is filled up with this weirdness. I but mean, that's good to hear. Right. But, <laughs> but like a lot of times I talk about how angry I am and how fucked up I am. And yeah, I've done some shitty things in my life and I've 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 I've, I've acted out of both, you know, selfishness, sadness, self-loathing, anger, whatever, you know. But for the most part, most people are like, I'm not seeing this idea you have of you. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of the impression I have of you is that you don't seem like because I've I've read a lot of your material, seen yeah. your stand up, and yeah, you just seem like right. A, well, why a genuine guy? Right. So why can't we accept that about ourselves? Wow, I, is that like ten feet above the garage? It's real close. Wow. We almost died. Yeah, I know. I'm glad it we made almost, it. Through. It almost crashed into the. <laughs> yeah, it was so close. <laughs> that would have been a, 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 such an amazing ending for both of us. Yeah, <laughs> something Exciting. completely out of our control, <laughs> yeah. for no apparent reason, takes us out in the middle of a conversation <laughs> about whether or not we can accept ourselves <laughs> or have any control over the future. <laughs> and it's just like a point, like an exclamation point. A no, you cannot have control over the future. That's you will right. never, never have control. It's over now. I guess it's good as long as we're not running from something. Yeah, because then the. Uh, you ask all these questions that there's like no answer to, you know, like what's, what's well, I think that's what's great about the book and about, you know, the, the type of people we are in terms of what our creativity is. And I'm just comparing myself to you because I relate to you. It's just that, uh, th- that's what it is. They're, they're really not answerable, but it seems like that asking them and living through them, uh, is something that people relate to. And that conversation is not really had that often. Right. And it's why, what I appreciate about, about your work as well. And I appreciate about yours. Hey. <laughs> and I think this was good. You feel like we covered it? I think so. Well, yeah, was, this was good. It's great talking to you. <laughs> you too. How was that? Was that amazing? She came down from the mountains. She came down from the hills. She came down from the north to talk to me. I I, I love her. I love her. I, 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 I had a great time talking to her. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF bees niece. Get the app. You're just getting into this. Get the app. Do it up. What else? Oh, uh, yeah. It ca- you know, Christmas is coming up. We're going to stock up the merch store. I think we're bringing back the Cat Negotiations t-shirt. We're bringing back the Boomer Lives t-shirts by request. I think Brian's going to make a few more mugs. I'll let you know when that happens.
Boomer lives!